All right. Well, that was sweet. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. And I just love seeing children singing to our Savior. Amen? That's fantastic. Amen. All right, well, let's pray before we go to the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. Lord, as we look into the true meaning of what love really is, I pray this morning that we would leave here with a greater grasp of the kind of love you have for us and the kind of love that you've called us to have for one another. We just thank you and praise you for your word that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray that right now, Lord, it would just do the work you've called it to do. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. So turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, continuing our verse-by-verse study. I purposely prepared a little bit shorter message. I know some of you might panic, but it's okay. It's going to be fine. Amen? We're in the Bible this morning. All right. Well, it is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, as you're turning your pages, uh, Palm Sunday was the week, was the beginning of Passion Week. And that was the time when Jesus, in fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy to the exact day, came on the back of a donkey, those of you who have been to Israel with us, we've gone right down that Palm Road, right the road that he came down on Palm Sunday. And he came in on Palm Sunday to cries of Hosanna. Hosanna means save now, or save now we pray. And so he came in on Sunday, Palm Sunday, to save now we pray. And just a few days later, he's going to be hearing the words crucify him. What happened between Sunday and Friday? What happened was they were looking for a Messiah who they thought would show his love toward them by overthrowing the Romans and putting them in charge. And as soon as they found out that he was not going to be a physically conquering Messiah, not bringing them what they want physically, but bringing them what they needed spiritually, which is redemption, they began to cry out and say, this isn't the Messiah that we wanted. The kind of love that we wanted was a physical love. The kind of love that we wanted, the kind of Messiah we wanted, was one who would feed feed us physically. And often today, people come to God in the same way. They treat Him like a, you know, holy Santa Claus in the sky, and you know, He's there to do my bidding so that I might feed my flesh. But as we know, true love doesn't do what we want, but does what's best for us. Amen? And that's the God that we serve, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, is the real meaning of the word love. We're going to see exactly how not only the word love itself, how it's exhibited towards us and how we're to respond to it. And this morning's text is right on time as we're headed into Passion Week because we're going to be looking in the text at the crucifixion. Again, a picture of what we'll be looking at even more closely next week. So if you're a note taker this morning, I titled the message True Love. God's definition of what love really is. Number one, we're going to see true love as evidence that we've truly been saved. In the life of a believer, this love should be evident. Doesn't mean it's always present. Amen? Uh, Come on, I know I'm not as cute as the kids, but come on now. Wake up. Wake up. All right. But true love, the love that God gives us, should be impacting the way that we live. Because the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is love. And if there's no love, there's been no change. And again, it's not always present 
It's not perfected, but it should be present. Number two, true love is demonstrated by a heart of selfless sacrifice. True love isn't just, what can you do for me, but it's what can I do for you. We'll talk about that. And then finally, true love flows through the life of the believer to the world around him. So let's begin in verse 7, looking at true love. God's definition of what love really is. First of all, we're going to see that true love is evidence that we've truly been saved, this heart of love. But again, it's not the kind of love the world talks about or the world sings about most of the time. And we'll define that as we go through the text. Let's begin there, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Love is indeed the main part of this text. I've already prepared that kind of got started preparing for next week as well, and we're going to see in the next 15 verses 22 times the word love is used. And every single time, it's the word agape in the Greek. And so the theme of this letter is love. Again, in the midst of all of that, I want to point out that while he's talking about love and what true love really is, he's not afraid to exhort them. He's not afraid to correct them. He's not afraid to call them to holiness. Sometimes we think love is a mamby-pamby you know, thing that never confronts us or never has a problem with us or never judges our behavior. Well, if God really loves me, he'll just let me live the life I want. No, if God really loves you, he'll keep you from destroying yourself. Amen? That's the God that we serve, a God of love and grace and mercy. A God who cares so deeply for you. That word love gets thrown around a lot. If you've been coming here for a while, you've heard me say this. But, you know, we'll say I love tacos. I love football. I love to go shopping. I love my job. I love to laugh. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love God. I hope those are different loves. Amen? I sure hope you love God more than you love pizza. Amen? Some of you are going, I don't know, pizza pretty good. I love the movies, or I love that, or I love this. Here's the thing. There's more songs written about love than any other topic, but almost all of them get it wrong. Because so often the love is just an emotion that's built on what love can do for me. It's always so often I fell in love and he does this for me and he does that for me. She does this for me. She does that for me. And it's always kind of what can love do for me? And that's where the English language kind of falls down because in English we have that one word for love and it covers everything from tacos to God. But in Greek, there's actually five common words, but three that are most often used. We've talked about these, but I'm going to go in more depth than I have in the past. There's numerous words describing this emotion degree. The first one is eros. It's where you get the word erotic. And just simply, it is a selfish love. It's a, if I could define it, it's an if love. If you do this, then I'll love you. If you help me, then I'll love you. If you bless me, then I'll love you. It's totally conditional. It's totally self-centered. And guess what? Not very often does it last. That's why you have people say, well, we fell out of love. I don't love me anymore. He's not doing for me, right? He's not getting me. She's not making me. She's not cooking for me. She's not doing, he's not doing this. And so the love, because it's conditional on someone else's behavior, it's almost always going to fall short because people, as you have found out, are not perfect. Amen? Guys, love is a choice. It's not just an emotion. But Aaron love is the love that often is sung about. And it's that love that is driving so many times the beginning of a relationship. 
And it's the, it's the butterflies and all those kinds, and nothing wrong with that, but you know, just all this thing, and it's just driving me. And then you know what? You find out that he picks his nose like everyone else. You know, he doesn't, he belches, and he smells bad sometimes. And what happened? Where was Prince Charming? Where did he go, you know? And so often it's, he's not the man, she's not the woman, I thought. And so this love that is a choice so often when the feelings go away, what happens? People go, oh, we're out of love. We've grown apart. That's if love. If you do, then I will. Well, next to if love is because love, and that's phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia. Philadelphia is supposed to be the city of brotherly love. That's the kind of misnamed that city, I think. But here's the thing. You know, it's supposed to be the city of brotherly love, and they, you know, they boo everyone over there. If you, if you watch sports, you know that's true. But here's the point. It's a because love. Because of what you have done for me, I'll respond in love to you. It's a love that, again, is very conditional. It still has a what's in it for me mentality. And like Eros, it's very self-centered. And over time, people fall out of it. Why? Because, again, it's built on the wrong understanding. It's built on the wrong expectation. What can you do for me? You'll hear people describe their ideal mate sometimes. Well, he'll have this, and he'll be like this, and he'll do that, and he'll do it. Why do you want all those things? So he can bless me. So she can minister to me. It's very self-centered. It's very flesh-driven. That's the same, again, back to when they were crying out, Hosanna. What were they looking for? A physically conquering Messiah. One who would give them what they wanted physically. That is very much like Aaron and Phileo love that is based solely on what can you do for me? Now, it's even been described, Aaron love, and phileo to an extent, of the kind of love a newborn baby has for their mom. Now, you moms who have newborn babies, I'm not trying to make you feel sad, but here's the reality. Right now, the baby is very selfish. Amen? If the baby's hungry at 2 a.m., screams till you get up, doesn't care how tired you are. Doesn't think, you know, I'm really hungry, but mom hasn't slept, so let me cut her some slack. I'll just lay here and stare at the ceiling for an hour and just, you know, let my stomach rumble for a minute. And then later when she's had some sleep, I'll scream. That's not what happens, is it? It's feed me now. Why? Because it's all about me. Now we get to agape. Where Aaron and Phileo are man-centered, flesh-centered, feed me, do for me, if love, because love. Because you've done this, I love you. If you do this, I'll love you. Totally conditional doesn't last, is temporal, then agape love is just the opposite. If I could describe it, it's the anyway love. What I mean by that is, you've totally blown it and I love you anyway. Amen? You haven't met up to my standards, I love you anyway. You haven't done all the things I expected of you and I love you anyway. And in God's case, he knew every wicked, vile thing we were going to do and he loves us anyway. Amen? And it's really described in some terms, as the love a mom has for the child. The child is selfish. The mom is selfless. The mom doesn't say, I'm tired, scream for a couple hours. That baby cries and the mom does a, you know, a 4640 down the hall. Gets to that baby as quick as possible. Loves that child and is willing to give up her own comfort, her own sleep, her own everything to minister to her child. That's the kind of, that's agape love. It's not selfish love, it's selfless love. 
And so as we're looking at the word love here, it's important that all 22 times we're going to see it in the next 15 verses over the next two weeks, every single time, it's not Aaron, it's not phileo, it's agape. It's not selfish love. It's not if you do for me love. It's not because you did for me love. It's not temporal love. It's not self-centered love. It is selfless love. But what we must understand is the only way you can have agape is if you have the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Galatians 5.22 says, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. And then everything else describes it. And that word love, agape. And so Our example of this love, of course, as we're going to see in a couple verses, is ultimately the Lord. But he says to them, Beloved, let us love one another. What's interesting in the original language, the way that that's written, is it's it's two forms of the word agape written back to back. And both of them are basically saying, because you have experienced selfless love, you too should love selflessly. Guys, because we have experienced the selfless love that comes from Almighty God towards us, our response ought to be that we love others with that same selfless love. And here's the truth. If you don't know God, you can't have that selfless love. This is why being unequally yoked is a disaster. Why? Because one person knows God, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and can have agape love, and the other person, it's impossible. Pastor Dave, are you telling me that someone who doesn't know God can't love? No, what I'm telling you is they can't have agape love. They can have phileo love, right? They can have Aaron love, but they don't understand agape love. Why? Because agape love doesn't originate with us, it originates from God. And so the exhortation here is telling them, beloved. Now, we live in a world that loves to sing about love. You've all heard that song, All You Need Is Love, Right? Well, that's true if it's the right kind. Amen? All we need is agape. Amen? Because greater love, greater agape is no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, and that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen? We're going to be celebrating that next Sunday, that we serve a risen and living Savior who triumphed over sin and death. He's the ultimate example. So agapateo, agapomen, means those who are loved, let us love. Those who've had selfless love poured out upon them, let us love others selflessly. Guys, it's not our loving actions that save us, but it's his greatest act of love in all of human history that we're going to look at in a few verses. Now it says right after that, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God, and knows God. Now, if you didn't take the time to look up the original meaning of that word love, you would say, well, everybody who loves anything is of God, right? You love your cat, you're of God. You love tacos, you're of God. As long as you love something, you're of God. If you just read that verse in that plain way. But the word there again is everyone who agapes is born of God. Everybody who has that selfless, Holy Spirit-generated love is of God. It's only if we have that agape love that we have proof that we indeed have been born again. Guys, when we are born again, we're more than just forgiven. It means to be born anew by God's Spirit. It means we become new creations in Christ. Becoming a Christian isn't just, as I've said so many times, it's not just to get out of hell free card. Amen? 
It's not just the, hey, I prayed the prayer, I walked the aisle, I put the thing in my pocket, I'm good to go just in case that's true, and now I'm just going to live my life. True salvation results in life transformation. Amen? We become a new creation, a different person. Everything about us changes. The truth is, if you've been born again, it ought to scare a few folks. Right? People who knew you before. You know, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and then we were alive in Christ. Well, if you take a dead corpse against a live body, you ought to see something different. Amen? And here's the point. As Christians, it goes beyond just belief for salvation, but a life transformation. And now we ought to be living different. And part of the way we live different is we exhibit that selfless love, not only toward God, but toward others. Someone who lives that way, that's evidence that they have indeed become a new creation in Christ. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I don't really love people that way. Most of the time. That doesn't really describe my life. Can I encourage you, as I said at the beginning, it's not perfected yet and it won't be until we get to heaven. But it should be present in some form. Amen? And it should be something we're growing in as we mature in our faith. You know, praise God that, you know, we're justified, then we're being sanctified until the day we are glorified. Justified means just as if I never sinned. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, a way of remembering it. The real, what it really means is that your sins have been washed away, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven. But then sanctified means being set apart. So once you are born again, you start to become more and more like our Savior every single day as you follow after Him. I've talked to a lot of you, and sometimes you're discouraged. Could you say, but yeah, but my life hasn't changed that much. Keep pressing in, amen? amen? Keep pursuing Him. He loves you. He's a faithful God. And He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, amen? amen. And so here's the picture we have, is that those who've truly been born again, it's going to be evidenced in a life of love, a life of of agape love, a life that exhibits agape love, a love that is impossible apart from Christ. Now, what does agape love look like? Well, there are a lot of definitions. We're going to talk about one in a couple of verses, the greatest definition. But Paul describes it this way in a chapter most of you are familiar with. If you're married, you may have had it read at your wedding. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And here's how agape is described. It says agape or love, is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Agape never fails. Now you read that, and then put your name in there, and you're going to feel bad. Amen? It just shows me, me, shows you we got some growing to do spiritually. Amen? Because if you read it, it says, if I put my name in there, Dave is patient. Sometimes. Dave is kind. Hopefully most of the, you know, Dave is not gentle. Sometimes he is. And here's the point. That when you have the Holy Spirit, and you go outside of what agape love is called to do, you're convicted. 
And that's the mark that you have been saved, that God is conforming you more and more into this image, becoming more and more of a person who exhibits agape love. This agape love should be evident and growing in all true believers. And again, it won't be perfected until we get to heaven. But again, it should be something that becomes more and more evident as we press into the kingdom. Now sadly, a lot of people call themselves Christians and there's no joy. Can I encourage you? That is not the Christianity of the Bible. Amen? We ought to have joy. Guys, we're going to heaven. We're new creations in Christ. We have nothing to fear. Our best friend created the universe. Amen? All that being true, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We ought to have some joy. Now, we can get in our flesh, and we can get overwhelmed by our circumstances. But look what it says here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The word know there is our old friend gnosko, which means to know by experience. If you're not experiencing agape love being evident in your life, here's what we need to do. We need to get to know God better. Amen? The more we know Him, the more we become like Him. But pastor, how do I get to know God? Spend time with Him. Start your day in prayer. Have devotional time. Read the Word of God. Ask God to stir up the gifts He's given you. Surround yourself with people who can hold you spiritually accountable. See, Christianity, as we're going to see in the last verse, is not for the Lone Ranger. God has called us to be ministering one to another. And so, everybody who loves is born of God. Everybody who has selfless, agape, other-centered love is born of God. But he says, and knows God. And that's the key. Knowing Him is the source of it. John is saying when you really experience God, and you come to know Him intimately, it will show in the agape love you have for one another. Verse 8. Just in case we don't understand that, he gives us the opposite. Look what he says. He who does not have agape love does not know God, for God is agape. Now, some people think agape is God. Love is God. As long as you love, you're being godly. No, that's not what it says. God is love. Love is not God. Amen? God is love. God is the example of love. He's the manifestation of love, as we're going to see in the next verse. So it says here, whoever does not have agape love does not know, gnosko, have a personal, intimate relationship with God. You know, there are people that know a lot about God. But knowing about God and knowing God are two different things. I have several co-workers I love to talk to about the Lord. I pray for them. I want to see them saved. I have one guy who's a new age guy, another guy who's got a Jewish background, and he's an atheist, and you know, they're just, and I talk to these guys, and I know it's just the Holy Spirit giving me discernment, but I look at both of them, and in different ways, they're miserable. But that's everyone who doesn't know Jesus, amen? Because we're trying to find the answer, and and they'll ask questions, and when you, and you talk to them, they get nervous, but at the same time, you can see that the Holy Spirit's bringing conviction. I want to see them so, I so desperately want to see these guys saved. But when we stand out here, sometimes we can see it in someone else's life, but in both cases, they feel like they know, well, at least in one case, he knows God, or knows about God, but he doesn't know God, because if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know God. Amen? 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. Well, that seems awful narrow. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many go thereby, but narrow is the path. Amen? But praise God that God didn't make it hard for us to understand. It's so clear. It's so wide open. Here it is. It's the cross of Calvary. Guys, I'm sharing all this with you because I want you to go out this week. And as you're talking to people about Good Friday, and by the way, I've had people say to me, why isn't it Bad Friday? Because he was crucified. Guys, because the result is not just good, it's great. Amen? If there's no Good Friday, we wouldn't be sitting here. Amen? We'd, have, we'd, be, we'd be in trouble. But praise God for his grace. But I want to encourage you that, guys, we do have the answer. We're not the answer. We just know where it is. One beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And so the truth is that if you don't have agape, you don't know God in an intimate and a personal way. But, Pastor, I don't, I'm not always that way. It doesn't say we're always that way, but it should be present, present in our lives. It should be evident, and it should be growing in us one of the many reasons why a true christian walk is so important one of the one of the big keys to walking with him is that we must have deep fellowship with god and with one another guys if you're not in fellowship you're going to struggle it says he who does not love does not know god if there isn't that real agape if there isn't that real fellowship if there isn't that real intimacy something's missing The Holy Spirit is going to change you. The Holy Spirit will bring love, agape, because that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if you're wondering if you're saved, you should have the confirmation of the Holy Spirit's conviction, and there should be a change in your life, and there should be a greater evidence of this agape love being manifested in your life. Again, God is a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. So often he's portrayed a different way. And as we go on to the next two verses, we're going to see the ultimate act of love in all of human history. Right on time with Passion Week. But with that being said, it's important to note that he's talking about this selfless love. And at the same time throughout this letter, he's been holding their feet to the fire about walking in obedience and walking in holiness and not listening to the words of the false teachers. True agape doesn't ignore that which will bring harm to one he or she loves, but will make a stand for what is best for them. True love will tell the truth. You know, if you've gone through premarriage counseling with me, and, it, and probably everybody does premarriage counseling uses this, but it's a great tool, and let me encourage you with it. The closer you are to the Lord in a relationship, the closer you'll be to each other. You've all seen the tri- many of you have, the triangle, God's at top. Husband and wife, or business partners, or brother and sister, or whatever it might be. The closer you guys get to the Lord, the closer you are to each other. The further you are from the Lord, the further you'll be from each other. If you want to have intimate fellowship with other believers, you draw near unto God. Amen? And as you do, you're going to find a like-mindedness. You're going to find a like-passion. The closer we are to God, the closer we'll be to each other. It is His agape love that transforms our lives and it's his agape love that was manifested at calvary agape dies for our sin but agape also condemns sin that is left unrepentant so god is love and in his love he is holy he's righteous he's perfect he's loving 
He's gracious. Everything he does expresses his love. His love is offered to us all. It is accepted. When you accept it, it will transform your life. Love doesn't define God. God defines love. Let's take a look. So the second point. In God's definition of what love really is, it's evidence that we've truly been born again. Have you ever met somebody that's got so much joy and is so selfless, you just go, wow. Lord, help us all to be like that. Amen? Help us all. And say, you know what? Can I encourage you? Pray and ask God to help you. Because you're not going to do it because you try harder. You're going to be able to live that life as you surrender yourself completely to Him can't make a list and say these are the selfless things i'm going to do today you can try that but what you need to, what we need to do instead is get on our knees and say lord help me to die to myself today help me to be filled with you instead so point number two not only is true love evidence that we've truly been saved but second it's it's demonstrated by a heart of selfless sacrifice look at verse nine in this the agape of god the love of God, was manifested toward us. The word manifest there is made visible. It's taking something that's invisible and unknown and making it visible and known. Some people say, how do we know God loves us? How can we know that God is a God of love? How do we know he's not a God of hate and anger and bitterness wanting to smoke us? How do we know that he's not the God that some people betray, you know, with a lightning bolt in his hand waiting for you to make a mistake? How do we know God's real heart? Here's the answer right here. His love is made manifest. His love is made visible. His love is made evident. How is his love made evident? How do we know? It says in 1 John 3, 16, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us love is more than words it's an action amen you can tell someone you love them five thousand times if your actions don't show it it's not really love love is more than words love is more than a promise love is reflected in our behavior and he says there god was made manifest toward us the word toward us can also be in us so his love wasn't just shown to us it was placed in us so how did he manifest his love look what it says that god has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here's how we know that god is love He sent his son to die in our place that we might have eternal life. There's nothing more loving than that. Amen? What's amazing is that he did it knowing what was before his son. He knew that when his son came that he would be rejected, that he would be mocked, that he would be scourged, that they would put a bag over his face and hit him in the face as hard as they could and say, prophesy who hit you. That they would pluck his beard. That they would crush a crown of thorns upon his head. They don't realize it's a fulfillment of prophecy because in the Old Testament we know, in Genesis, in the garden, when did thorns come into existence? Thorns and thistles came with original sin and all the sin of mankind was being placed upon our Savior and that's where the the crown of thorns came from. Our Heavenly Father knew that was coming. And yet, he selflessly sent his son. That's agape. Amen? He didn't selfishly do what was easiest for him. He didn't selfishly do what was best for him. 
You know, when we think about the cross, and I don't, please don't take this wrong. Please pay attention to me. Don't take this wrong. We should never, ever, 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 ever downplay the cross of Calvary and the suffering of our Savior in any way ever. Amen? It's far beyond what we can ever imagine. But as I was studying this last night, you know what God kept driving home to me and it brought me to tears just thinking about it. And it's going to give us a headache because we don't fully, it's hard, we're not going to grasp the Trinity until we get to heaven. Do you understand that? Amen? There's one God, amen? Manifest in three persons, right? How does that happen? He's God. You're not. Amen? That's how. The Bible teaches. It's very clear. I and my Father are one. Okay, then you see him separate. Okay, they're God. He's God. That's it. Amen? Now, that being said, think about the Father when Jesus was on the cross. And I don't know why I've never really, I just, God put in my heart, I was just, I was just brought to tears. Because you know what? Parents, what would be easier? We couldn't do either one of what our, our, our God did for us. But what would be easier? You suffering or watching your child suffer? Especially when you could at any time stop the suffering. One of my coworkers on Thursday went out and played basketball with his 16-year-old son. And the coworker I have, he's a pretty mild-mannered guy. Kind of a quiet guy, mild-mannered guy, not a real big guy. But they're just playing hoops and the team they're playing against, he thinks maybe the guys have been drinking or something. But one of these real big guys who was probably in his mid-20s hauled off and just dropped his 16-year-old son when he wasn't looking. Knocked him out. He had to go to the hospital. And this slight little guy that I work with, I said, so what happened? He said, I was all, I mean, can you imagine? Someone attacks your child. I don't care. I don't care if it's Hulk Hogan. He's in trouble. Amen? Why? Because that's the heart of a parent. You don't hurt my child. I'd rather have you hurt me. Tear both my arms off, but don't touch my children. Amen? And I just started thinking about our father. What would be easier? Now, here's the point. God did both of them. Amen? He went to the cross, and the father watched as the son was on the cross, knew separation, watched him being mocked, watched him being scourged, knew it was coming, could have stopped it, and didn't. Tell me God doesn't love us. How much would you have to love somebody to watch your child be tortured to death? When you could stop... Guys, I love you. Not that much. Amen? Love you. Not that much. Sorry. I was telling one of my boys the other day, actually my son Johnny, who's in Hawaii, and I said, son, you know, I want to see Santa Cruz saved, but here's the truth, and I'm just being transparent. If I could have all of Santa Cruz saved and one of my kids go to hell, I'm not making that trade. Now, God, I'm not. Sorry. Why? Because the love we have for our kids, that's our first ministry. Amen? They're so precious to us. Are you kidding me? I would die for them in a minute. And I was just thinking of the heart of a father, and I was just brought to the end of myself, and I thought, thank you. Thank you, Father. Amen? Now again, don't downplay the cross. And the heart of a father let him die. And he did both. And he did it because he loves you, even though he knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever done or you're ever going to do, he still did it because he loves you. How great is our God? Amen? 
Shouldn't that drive us to a place of worship and brokenness before him? He not only sent his son, but he looked on as he suffered. And that ought to change. When people start to portray our Heavenly Father again as judgmental, our Heavenly Father is the God of the Old Testament who smokes people with leprosy. And Have you ever people talk about that? I like Jesus, not that God of the Old Testament. He's kind of rough. You ever heard people talk like that? Here's Same God, amen? He's a God of love and grace and mercy. Judgment only comes after he reaches out again and again and again and people reject him. It says there, his only begotten son. We can't go by that word. He's not a crea- Jesus is not a created being. Amen? Begotten means, that word means, of the same substance and nature. So we are his children. We're children of our heavenly father, but here's the difference. We're adopted, not begotten. Amen? So we're not of the same nature prior to salvation. We're not the same. But Jesus Christ is because he's God. Go back to Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image. Who's talking? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He always has been. He always will be. Amen? But here we see this. His only begotten Son came to earth. The one and only unique Son, eternal, almighty God, came into the world. Why? Out of love for you. And this is the agape of God that He sent His Son. Guys, This is the kind of love that God has for us. And because God has this kind of love for us, he's calling us to have this kind of love for each other. You ever thought about what Jesus did? He left the holiness of heaven, the perfection of heaven, where he was worshiped, where everybody there knows who he is. He's adored, he's honored, and he's praised. And he left heaven, and he took on humanity, and he came to this place. On purpose, that is fallen and rebellious and wicked and dying. And he came here and lived a sinless, perfect life that he might be an example for us, but more importantly, he went to the cross of Calvary that you and I might be saved. You know, I, we can't be reminded enough of what God's done for us. Amen? We need to be reminded again and again and again and again. When we start to question God's love, we start to question what he is doing, remember these verses. Amen? God, how could you... Wait a minute, that's right, never mind. I sent my son. Jesus would say, I came. Holy Spirit would say, I indwelt you. How can you question my love for you? And how can we not reflect his love to others? It says there at the end of that verse, He's only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. The love of the Father was seen not only in the sending of His Son, but what it accomplished. He died that you and I might live. He suffered and died physically that you and I might live spiritually. He took our punishment so that we might gain His reward. How awesome is that? And you think God doesn't love you. You go through a tough time and you forget it. Agape love is more than words. It's a willingness to suffer and to sacrifice personally for the benefit of others. He endured the punishment our sin deserved that we might enjoy the rewards that His holiness deserves. And the guys, notice again, it says, live through Him. This is a great great way to find the Christian life. We're living through Him. We're living through Him. 
Guys, as we walk around, God's with us. He's indwelled us. He's guiding our steps. Guys, we don't have luck and random chance. We have divine appointments because God's in control. Amen? Nothing happens by chance in our lives. Our God's hand is upon us. Think how much we love our children. We're fallible, sinful parents. How much more does perfect, holy God love us? You want to watch out for your kids, right? God's watching out for us. It's not just the work he does for us as he transforms our life, but the work he does in us. Amen? He did the work on the cross. That's the work for us. And he's transformed our lives. That's the work he does in us. Verse 10. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Our love relationship with God was not initiated by us, but by God. We didn't initiate, if anybody should have initiated it, it should have been us. Amen? Oh man, I'm a mess. I need help. Right? That's a good place to be, by the way. Self-confidence is not good. Desperation for God, that's good. Amen? Instead of prideful and self-confident, let's be God-desperate. Let's be crying out to Him constantly. Lord, bring us to a place where we have to be desperate. It says in Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, and yet He did it for us anyway. This is the ultimate act of agape, the ultimate act of selfless, selfless love, in that He gave His best. You know, selfless love gives its best, not its least. Guys, as we serve others... You know, sometimes it used to be, I remember growing up, you know, missionaries would come to town, and some of these people would be out living, and they'd come home, and people would give them their old stuff. You know, I bought a new mattress, I'm going to give my old one. And again, okay, that can be kind of generous. How about this? How about we give them the new one and keep the old one for a while longer? How about we be selfish instead of selfish? Let's not give God our leftovers, but give God the first fruits of all that we have. Amen? Not give God the end of the day after we've worked 16 hours and we drool in our Bible as we're falling asleep. Anybody else ever done that besides me? Come on. (laughs) Amen? You got your Bible open and you wake wake up with a crease on your face. you, You know, God, let's give you the best, not the rest. Amen? Let's give God the first of what we have. Why? Because he gave his best for us by sending his son. Lord, let's give you the best that we have. He says, in this is love. In this, in what? In the laying down of his life. That's love. That's the very definition of agape. And again, you would think it would be us crying out to him, but instead it's him reaching down to us. Notice what it says there, to be the propitiation for our sins. Why did he go to the cross? Propitiation, you read words like that and you just go, whatever, and you go right by it. What does that mean? It means to make atonement. It means a propitiary in the Old Testament was a place where blood was spilled to pay for sins. Jesus was the one who spilled his blood for our sin. So propitiation means he took on the wrath of God. He took on the judgment of God for the sins we committed. He took our place. He became the propitiation for our sins. He took my spot, he took your spot, he took our sin upon himself, he 
took on the wrath of God against sin because he's a holy God. He must judge sin. He took the judgment for sin upon himself. He took your place. That's what that means. He took our place. Sin separates man from God. But propitiation removes sin and restores fellowship. This incredible act of love was done to restore sinful man back to holy God. And I want to say this. Notice he didn't just send his son to be an example. That would have been awesome. Hey, by the way, here's my son. Watch him follow his example. That would have been good. He didn't just send his son to show us compassion. What did he do? He sent his son to die. Guys, it's one thing to live your life out in front of somebody, and that's good. It's another thing to show compassion to people, and that's good. But it's yet another thing to be willing to die to yourself, to your will, to your wants, so that you might minister to somebody else. To give up what you want, to give up what you desire. To take on hardship on behalf of somebody else. Again, we will never die for anyone else's sin. Jesus already paid that price. Guys, we need compassion. We need an example. But what we really need is redemption. Amen? Guys, giving a cup of cold water in his name is good. If we go somewhere and we do good works in his name, that's great. But let's make sure that with the works, we bring the word. Amen? That if we're going to build a house in his name, let's make sure we tell him about the God who's moved on our heart to build the house. Amen? Because, guys, we can have them have shelter and not know God. Jesus didn't come to just show us compassion, although he did. He didn't just come to be an example, though he was. He came to redeem us from our sin because that's our greatest need. And that's the greatest need of the world we live in today. Amen? Even in this economy, we should feed those who are hungry, but we also should feed those who are hungry spiritually. Amen? Those who are starving for the truth. That's the greater feeding that needs to go on. Praise God that Jesus came and lived a life of sinless perfection. But praise God that he went to the cross to be the propitiation for our sins. Last verse. Final point. So we see God's definition of what love really is. Agape love is evidence that we've been saved. There's a change in our behavior, a change in our heart. We go from being selfish to selfless. Secondly, it's demonstrated by that heart of selfless sacrifice that we see in the ultimate example of our Savior. And then third, that true agape love flows through the life of the believer into the world around him or her. Look what it says there. Beloved, it's a form of agape again. If God so agaped us, we also ought to agape one another. If God so selflessly loves us, we should selflessly love one another. You know, we're not a real big church, but there's enough people in here that if every one of us would just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, nobody in this room should go without food. Amen? Sometimes we have more. Instead of saving it for a rainy day, we should do some of that, but maybe we should be praying and say, Lord, who do you want me to minister to? How can I reach out to them? We're a family, amen? That's how we ought to operate. We ought to do it so that God is glorified. Beloved, having received this incredible love from God, 
We are directed not to keep it to ourselves, but to share it with others. As Christians, we're to keep Christ, not to keep Christ in His love to ourselves. His agape love for us ought to produce in us an agape love for others. In uh, Israel, you have the Jordan River and three other rivers that come down with it. I've been to the head, Tel Dan, where the river comes out of the water. It is the most clean and beautiful water I've ever seen in my life. And this spring comes firing out. And I, just, I would love to just sit there all day and watch it. It is so crystal clear. It is so clean. And that water comes out, and through that, it literally goes down into the Sea of Galilee. It goes down, and it literally you know, ministers to, if you will, all of Israel. This Jordan River, this river of living water in our sense, in our case, We're to be rivers of living water flowing out of us, impacting the world around us. But also in Jordan, guess where the water at the Jordan ends up? In the Dead Sea. The Jordan is filled with life. It's flowing. It's beautiful. It's got plants all around. It's some of the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen in my life. You get to the Dead Sea, I've never seen anything more barren in my life. They have the same source. One is fruitful, one is barren. What's the difference? One has an outflow, one does not. Guys, we can be Dead Sea Christians or Jordan River Christians. We can be those who take what God has given us and spill it out on the world around us. Our lives can be fruitful as we are faithful, or we can be like the Dead Sea and just get fed, 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 no outlet, it becomes stagnant, and everything in the Dead Sea is dead. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. There's not one fish in there. You go on the Dead Sea, it hurts, and I'm not kidding. Anybody who's done it, I'm not, if you have a slightest nick, it's just salt. You can't sink. And if you did, you would be hating it, because it's brutal. You know what, though? As Christians, there's such a picture there. Lord, help us not just be those who get fed, those who feed on your word, those who get ministered to, those who come to places of worship. It's important that we take what God has given us and we pour it out on others. Amen? That we have agape love, which is selfless, not just storing it up for myself, but ministering to others with it. John 13 gives us one more example as we get ready to close of this kind of love. This kind of love that doesn't keep it to itself, but flows out on others. Jesus is always our best example. Amen? He's the son of the living God. Do you know what the lowest, about the lowest thing you could do in the days of Jesus? The lowest servant's job, one of his jobs, was when people traveled a great distance in their sandals and came into a house, their job was to wash their feet. And you got to understand something. It's not like washing our feet, which is kind of gross enough anyway. But can you imagine someone walking open-toed for miles, and probably for days? It wasn't like they were taking baths and showers every day. And then you come into someone's house, and it was just nasty. You get to wash their feet, right? You know what's awesome? is our Savior washed the feet of his disciples. Now at the end, you would think he would say, okay, I've washed your feet, now you wash mine. That's not what he said. What did he say? As I have washed your feet, you wash each other's feet. 
As the Lord has cleansed us, as the Lord has touched us, as the Lord has ministered to us, God is calling us not to keep it to ourselves, but to turn around and minister one to another. Amen? The truth is that if the church was really healthy, we'd be tripping over each other trying to minister to each other. Amen? John 13, he says this. This is his quote. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The proper response to agape love of God being poured out upon us is for us to pour that same love out on one another. And I want to say this. Remember, he doesn't just love those who love him back. Amen? Well, I'll wash the feet of the people that are nice to me if I have to. No, wash the feet of the people that curse you. Wash the feet of the people that mock you. We don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. A soft answer turns away wrath. Amen? Agape is selfless. If we're truly being selfish, selfless, it doesn't really matter what anybody else says about us because we're not thinking about ourselves anyway. Amen? Someone mocks you, it's okay. Why? It's not about me. It's about him. Amen? Agape love will lead to practical action. It's going to lead to a changed life. It's going to put you in a place where you can minister to even those who offended you, even those who have wronged you, even those who you think are the offending party and they ought to be ministering to you. Again, let's reach out. Let's be Christ-like. He died for us. Let's live for Him. Amen? So in closing, true love is evidence that we've been saved. This agape, selfless love can only come from a Holy Spirit-filled life. Amen? I'm not saying someone who doesn't know God may not do a selfless act here or there. But the point is, it shouldn't be an act here or there. It should be a way of life for us because the Spirit of living God lives inside of us. Amen? Number two, is demonstrated by a heart of selfless sacrifice. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for a friend. We too ought to be willing to lay down our lives to one another. And finally, true love flows through the life of a believer to the world around him. Does Santa Cruz need a little selfless love poured out on it? Amen? Dear coworkers, dear neighbors, you know, God has divinely placed us where we live, where we work, where we go to school, we're there for a reason, and may we not miss out on what God has for us because instead of being selfless, we're being selfish. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for this example of what selfless love really is. Lord, I pray that that we would not be people of selfish love that we would not be people who are all about our agenda and our will lord that we would not be making demands of you but lord instead i pray we'd be a reflection of you to a lost and dying world lord i ask that you'd fill us afresh with your holy spirit lord everything we talked about this morning is impossible apart from you your holy spirit has to be flowing out of us or our lives are going to be fruitless lord we do lift up this county to you lord you love these people You love a county that is one of the least churched in America. But you know what, Lord? You brought us here to be salt and light of this place. May we not take that lightly. May we not take that for granted. 
Lord, may we not hide our light under a bushel. May we not be ashamed of you. And Lord, I pray it wouldn't only be in our words that we would speak with boldness, but Lord, in our actions as we would live selflessly, loving on and ministering to those around us that so desperately need you. Lord, we come humbly before you. We thank you for the act of love, the greatest act of love in all of human history. As we enter into Passion Week, looking forward to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. But Lord, we thank you for it. We love you and we praise you. You're a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.